Good morning. And praise the Lord. God is God is good, isn't he? He's wonderful, and what, what a joy it is to worship him. And uh, what a joy it is to have the opportunity to speak about Rehoboam. Has anyone done their homework on Rehoboam? He's one of these slightly unsavoury characters um, who had a huge, huge impact. And what I'm going to share, I deliver humbly and I speak as much to me as I do you because it's not, a, it's not an easy subject. And uh, so may I just pray about that. Father, we thank you that your word can be like a, a hammer. And Father, it can be like a surgeon's knife and it can touch parts of our lives, Father, which are very sensitive. And so I pray great grace, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you will touch a speaker and hearer alike, Father. In the name of Jesus and for your glory. Amen. Praise God. Well, Rehoboam was the last king of a united Israel and the first king of Judah. He was the son of uh, Solomon and the grandson of, of David. He had everything going for him. Israel was united. The glorious temple had been built. There was peace in the land. And he inherited great wealth. But all was not well within him. He had a heart issue that would blight his life. And that was authenticity. He was not all bad. But his public persona was false. He struggled throughout his reign with this issue. He was not the real deal. Something of Rehoboam is in us all trying to appear what we're not. Can you think about that for a moment? It's been testing me all week. The issue of appearing what you're not. I guess none of us would like others to know what God knows about us. Would that be true? Could any of us stay and stand up and say... God, tell everyone here what you know about me now. I think some of us would be uh, shrinking a little bit and others would be hot-footing it out of this place. We can masquerade, can't we? Wearing a mask to hide reality and to project something different about our true selves. This is hugely profound.
I think we're all like the moon. We've got a bit of a darker side. And true freedom can only be found in being truly authentic. Becoming vulnerable both to others and God. Why do we struggle with this crippling fear? Is it others' expectations of us? Is it a sense of failure or a weakness that we would show? Or just pride? Torn inside, masking a wounded heart. You see, this duplicity moves us from being to acting. Can I say that again? This wounded heart moves you from simply being to acting. To be is something that is so wonderful. Because you just do it, you are. But to have to act and present something is something that is so demanding on you and takes all your mind and heart and fear that it won't quite work. It's a huge tragedy that a part of us all, and this is where it's difficult to actually say this without you thinking, what a cheek. We won't invite him to preach again. I think some of you are already thinking that. Yeah. But there's a part of us all that's a bit phony. If we're really honest. No longer the real thing. Jesus was real. Jesus was real. That's why he was at total peace. There was nothing in him that he had to to hide from people. You know, he saved his harshest criticism for hypocrites, especially religious ones. I won't read all the woes of Matthew 23. There are seven of them. But woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're clean on the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and selfish indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First cleanse the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Rehoboam was born at the time his father, Solomon, came to power. And in those 40 years, he grew up in the lap of luxury. He had the wisest father this world has ever known. He was cosseted. He must have been present at the time when the temple was dedicated and the glory of God fell down. 
He was all part of that. He experienced it. He knew it. He bore the genes of kingship, but also their vulnerabilities. David, Solomon and Rehoboam himself all took multiple foreign wives, allowing and indeed encouraging Moabite and Ammonite idol worship to take place on the sacred grounds of Israel. And they compromised and it was their downfall. You know, you and I are called to be holy without mixture. Ahijah, who was a prophet, prophesied to Jeroboam, we'll touch on him in a moment, that the kingdom would be snatched from Rehoboam and divided ten to two. Ten in the northern uh, territories of Israel and two in the southern territory of, of Judah. It would have been 12-0, but for God's promise that out of Judah, there would be an everlasting kingship, the seed of David leading to Jesus. Let's read a little from uh, 2 Chronicles 10. Verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nabat, heard this, he was in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt. So they sent for Jeroboam and all Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labour and the heavy yoke he put on us and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Come back to me in three days. He had already made up his mind. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. They replied, if you would be kind to these people and please them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. But Rehoboam rejected the advice that the elders gave him and consulted the young men who he'd grown up with and were serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? He knew what their advice would be. How should we answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, the people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam, as the king had said, come back to me in three days. The king answered them harshly. Rejecting the advice of the elders, he followed the advice of the young men and said, my father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions at 41 years old Rehoboam was crowned king he was shocked at his coronation when Jeroboam having returned from exile led a delegation from the northern tribes and they asked for an easier an easing of their burden that had been put on them Rehoboam had no intention to acquiesce 
he asked his father's elders and they said be lenient but it's not the answer he wanted so he asked like-minded friends those who actually served him and they said show no weakness increase the burden and in his bravado he said even my little finger is thicker than my father's waist and as a consequence they rebelled as a consequence of this issue in Rehoboam's life Israel was split in two I'm talking about a, 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 a sort of a small character and a huge impact. Because of the issues deep within Rehoboam and his own battles within, the tragedy that there was civil war throughout his reign between the people of God, between God's own people. And Jeroboam's ally the king of Egypt, laid siege on Jerusalem. This guy Shishkak took the temple treasures and his father's golden shields. Read about that in, in 1 Kings 14. Rehoboam, son of Solomon, was king in Judah. He was 41 years old when he became king and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel in which to put his name. His mother's name was Naamah. She was an Ammonite. Judah did evil in the eyes of the Lord. By the sins they committed, they stirred up his jealous anger more than those who were before them. They also set up for themselves high places, sacred stones and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. These were even male shrine prostitutes in the land the people engaged in all the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites in the fifth year King Rehoboam Shishak king of Egypt attacked Jerusalem he carried off all the treasures of the temple of the Lord and the treasures of the royal palace he took everything including all the gold shields Solomon had made so King Rehoboam had bronze shields to replace them and assigned these to the commanders of the guard on duty at the entrance of the royal palace. Whenever the king went into the Lord's temple, the guards bore the shields and afterwards they returned them to the guard room. As for the other events in Rehoboam's reign and all he did, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? There was continual warfare between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And Rehoboam rested with his ancestors and was buried with them in the city of David. His mother's name was Naamah. She was an Ammonite. And Abijah, his son, succeeded him as king. The king of Egypt took all the treasures from the temple of God. And he took these golden shields that Solomon had made. And so as not to lose face, he had bronze ones made. And the same ritual of the guards taking the shields off when he came to, into the temple of the palace took place. He had replicas to somehow cover up what had happened. He mustn't show his weakness. 
when we, Karen and I went to Israel, and they were, they had these stones with hieroglyphics on and the, the, the same pharaohs that were around with Moses, we asked the question, why is there no mention of Moses? Why is there no mention of the Red Sea or anything on these hieroglyphics which are telling the history of Egypt with such an impact that it happened? So it's, oh, it's easy. These um, pharaohs, all they wanted to do was project their success. They would never, ever mention defeat because of the image they wanted to project. And it's the same when we went to um, uh, uh, Bucharest and Ceausescu's palace. There's a, there's a, a, a sort of a, a balcony where he, 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 was, he never got there, but where he was intended to stand in front of the people. But it was elevated by about two feet because he was a small man. And so people would look and think that he was a lot bigger than he was. It just wasn't true to himself. It wasn't real. He was two-faced at the Rehoboam. On the temple, in, 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 in God's temple, he was one thing. On the high places, he was another thing. He let the king of Egypt take the God's treasures but to appease the enemy. And all the while still wanting to appeal, appear that he was in control. If you read the passage, he partially repented. But his pride kept him captive. His true self remained in solitary confinement. How about your true self? Where is it? Do you know what it is, your true self? Samuel Johnson wrote, almost every man wastes part of his life trying to display qualities he doesn't possess. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 1.10, and he was writing it to Rehoboam, his son. He said, my son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths. No, God looks for fully committed hearts. And 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. What's he looking for? What are the eyes of the Lord looking at this assembly for? What do the eyes of the Lord look at me for? They range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. That's what he asks of you. That's why communion is about us giving fully committed hearts to God. Because he wants to strengthen you. And he wants to make me and you the real deal. This world needs authentic Christians more than ever. The world cries out for them without knowing. It's tragic. And I hear Ian, uh, God speaking to me, 
throughout this week. Ian, stop, stop, stop hypocrisy in your life. Do you know the true you is found when you're under the greatest pressure? The true you. The one that's inside. I'm sure that Gary's found that in, in all that he's been through, it's lovely to see you back in the, uh, in the swing of things. But through those dark, dark times, the true you, when you get between a rock and a hard place, when you get in the wine press of God and you feel like a grape being squashed and the skin is being separated from that which is of true value, the wine. When Jesus hung on that cross and everything, even his life blood and his last breath was being squeezed from him, the real Jesus became apparent. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Selfless. It's a wonderful picture of the um, New Testament church. It begins in Acts 2 at Pentecost. goes through to Acts 5. When Acts 5 starts with these words, Now Ananias. Ananias, the, the, the church was wonderful. Everyone had things in common and they shared, they knew one another, they loved one another, they were real. But then one came who had deception in his heart and he gave in pretense that he was giving all, but he didn't, he held some back. It wasn't that he held some back. If you said he'd held some back, that would be fine. But he wasn't what he was. And tragedy happened. And you know, with this duplicity, only God can change us. We have to cooperate. That's why we, we have communion. The cry of our hearts, the cry of my heart, is to be authentic. He came to set the captives free. I've waited a long while for this hallelujah because it hasn't been a hallelujah sermon. <laughs> he, he came to set the captive free, that one that's in you. He came to set us free. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. To heal the brokenhearted, that the bruised reed would become strong and that smouldering flax would one, once again shine brightly. Of course we want to be free from the devil's schemes. Of course we want to be free from the hold the world might have us. But the greatest freedom is to be free from yourself. And that's what God wants. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. To be free inside that you may soar with God. That you may do and see and believe things that you could never ever have imagined. That God would set you free. If only Rehoboam 
been free. What an impact he could have made. A mixture of me and Jesus doesn't do it. What a relief it will be to simply be. Amen. And God bless you. Father, take your word. And Father, may it not return to you void, but achieve for which that it was sent. In Jesus' name. Amen.